0: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real-time odds predictive betting models expert picks and more want the edge then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
1: listening to scott wetzel will give you a bad taste in your mouth you call these bagels it's bagels and bad beats with scott wetzel Hour number two, Bagels and Bad Beats, with yours truly, Scott Wetzel, sitting and taking you right up until 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Our toll free telephone number, 844 843 6879. Again, 844 843 6879. You want to follow me on Twitter? Send a tweet. Uh, it is at Opposite Picks. That's O P P O S I T E. Picks P I C K S. Email me. Go to the website, OppositePicks.com. Hit the contact sky icon and fire away. We'll do some emails here, some tweets, and uh, some phone calls as well. Our poll question is posted after last night's uh, really thorough trashing by the Kansas City Chiefs over the Houston Texans. How many wins will Kansas City get this year? And I know it sounds crazy, but uh, as a Dolphin fan, we're always looking at these teams that can go undefeated. And, uh, you know, you just never know with this uh, Kansas City team. If they play like they did last night, I'll tell you what. Uh, Kansas City is, uh, you know, gonna win 16 games. Kansas City is gonna win 13, four, or uh, 14 or 15 games. They're gonna win 11, 12 or 13 games, or 10 or less. That is our poll question for the day. Go to my uh, again Twitter feed at Opposite Picks. Uh, get your vote in, and we'll update that a couple of more times uh, before we are through today. Uh, as far as the football game goes, last night, yep, it was all Kansas City score. You know, made it seem like it was a little close, 34-20, but in reality, it was 34-7. And I mentioned, you know, it was only 17-7 at the half, but it was as lopsided of a 10-point game as you'll ever see. After Houston put the first points on the board, 7-0, Kansas City ripped off 31 straight points. The Texans' offense was invisible during that time. Only a couple of touchdowns in the fourth quarter made it close. Uh, And even the last one came with about two minutes left, you know, when the game was not, you know, in in doubt anymore. And it really wasn't after the third quarter Uh, Mahomes throws for three touchdowns, 211 yards and the Kansas City wins and they win big Lakers drain Houston 110 100 Uh, pathetic performance by the Houston Rockets, much like the Houston Texans. Again, honestly, I don't know which one was worse. Pretty even. Uh, the Rockets were trailed by double digits the whole way. They just didn't show up. And, and for all intents and purposes, to me, an elimination game, and they don't show. And that's why the Houston Rockets have just never been for players. They just. Win. And Dallas beat Vegas in overtime last night. Nice job by the Stars, making a 2 1 series. They Vegas and bad Beats on a Friday morning. Got to
0: You've got this first-round draft choice coming out of the backfield, and then you just saw Demarcus Robinson do this. And a very good offensive line, second down and
1: three. A big hole. Edwards Allaire will take it to the end
0: zone. What
1: NBC with the call last night as Kansas City knocks off the Houston Texans 34-20, uh, really behind uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Pat Mahomes. Uh, Scott Wetzel sitting in, taking it right up until 7 a.m. Eastern time. Bagels and Bad Beats on this uh, Friday morning. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the rookie at LSU, runs for 138 yards. And uh, 25 carries, you know, maybe that's even a, a better indication of how big a role this guy will play in this Kansas City offense. They, they ran the football a lot last night. Mahomes only threw uh, for 32 uh, attempts. You know, it's not like they wanted to get into this shootout with the Houston Texans. You know, uh, Deshaun Watson only threw 32 times. That's because he was coming up the football field, a lot of three and outs. Uh, but you know, Kansas City on the other hand, they they were running the ball, 138 yards, 166 as a team, and Hilaire led the way. If you're sitting on a uh, you know a Edwards Hilaire rookie of the year ticket, you know not not bad, not not a bad little thing because he's going to get an opportunity to be the star and at the chef's backfield. Mahomes goes 24 of 32 for 211, but did have three touchdown passes, sacked one time. Hilaire again, 138. Sammy Watkins uh, had a nice night. Seven receptions for 82. For you fantasy geeks, with one touchdown, Travis Kelsey. Six receptions for 50 with a TD. Tyree Hill, five for 46 with that third touchdown pass. Over on Houston's side, David Johnson. Listen, not bad. He had 77 yards rushing on 11 carries. You take that, that's seven yards a pop. Had one touchdown, but they just couldn't get anything going that uh, that offense you know and people are going to point to DeAndre Hopkins not being there i get that but boy just just lethargic play just from the outset lethargic play and i know they did take a seven nothing lead and everything looked great after the texans you know first two drives but after that just invisible and it just i don't know what it was but will fuller had eight receptions for 112 yards uh, jordan atkins two receptions including a td for 39 Uh, Randall Cobb, two for 23. Brandon Cooks did play, had the hamstring injury. Don't know how much that affected him, but he only had two receptions for 20 yards. And uh, Darren Fells, two receptions for 19. Defensively, another invisible performance from J.J. Watt, who had uh, three tackles last night and uh, no sacks. But there is no more overrated defensive player, I think, this side of JV on Clowney than J.J. Watt. I mean, he just listen. Not off the field stuff. I'm not knocking him because he's done a lot of great things, charities. I'm just talking about J.J. Watt, the football player. He's always getting hurt, and he's just invisible. Every single. See, this is why I don't pay a defensive end. Why? Because you could take a defensive end out of the equation. I, I don't care how good you are. You could wrap up J.J. Watt and uh, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and put them all in the JV Clowney and put them all in one body and be the greatest thing since the history of football. And if I'm an offensive coordinator of a high school team, I know how to adjust to that. I know, you know, whether he's on the left or the right, listen, if uh, JJ Watts on the right, we're going left. It's as simple as that. Go ahead. You know, show me the defensive end. It's uh, the right defensive end. It's going to make a tackle on a, on a running play. That's going to the left. Not going to happen? It's just not. And that's why you don't, to me, that's why you don't go gaga over defensive ends. Even defensive tackles who are just basically being paid to be fat and take up two, you know, offensive linemen, even those guys can make plays because they're closer to the line, to to the ball carrier than the right or left defensive end. In linebackers, you can't really adjust because he can kind of, you know, spread the field out a little bit. If the defensive end, I get it. That's the pressure point. They get the sacks, but. He's invisible all the time, just all of the time. You know, as Kansas City is going up and down the field, he's not even being talked about. He's just, And it's every single big-time game with this guy. I don't know what it is that makes America love J.J. Watt as a football player. Off the field, I get it. We're talking about on the field. I, I just I don't see it. I, I can't think of one Houston Texans game, big-time game, that I've watched, and I've watched them all, whether it's playoffs or whether it's games against the Colts or whatever the case may be, I honestly, I cannot think of one in which I'm coming out of that game saying, wow, J.J. Watt had a great game. He was all over the field. He was making tackles. He was getting sacks. You know, he was disrupting play. You just don't get it with him. You just don't. And yet we want to make this guy out to be the greatest thing in the world. I had three lousy tackles last night. No sacks. You know, no pressures. You know, where was he on all these plays? I, I just very frustrating. If you're a Houston Texans fan, very, very frustrating. So if this is what you're going to get out of Houston, uh, that 57 to 1 ticket that we're holding on to with the Texans winning the Super Bowl, or plus 160 ticket of them making the playoffs, and I, I understand now kind of why they're plus 160 to make the playoffs and why they're 57 to 1. Boy, that team was awful last night. Just absolutely awful. Bill O'Brien's just lost. He, he's just lost on the sidelines. And how about Andy Reid on the sidelines last night? It's funny. You know, the the the, the hypocrisy of all this stuff with the uh, the coronavirus. So, you know, you got how many players? 55, 60 players, uh, you know when everything is said and done on the Kansas city sideline, you got the 55, 60 players on the Houston sideline. No one's wearing masks. No one's wearing the face guard, you know, nothing. It's football. You, you can't right? You know, how many other lines people are over there. And then there's the, there. There's uh, uh Andy Reed with this goofy welders shield on. I, I mean, it's like Andy, I mean, come, come on, brother. I mean, <laughs> this thing looked and he was getting trashed on Twitter and rightfully so, you know, if, if funny wise, um, I, you know, You can be protective, I get it, but it just seems weird that you have, you know, 150 other people between, you know, players and officials and uh, lines people and and everything else, uh, yard marker holders, and no one else is wearing really anything. And there's Andy Reid with this welder's mask on that makes him look like a goofball. So. Um. Yeah. God bless him. Uh, you know what? He's he's happy. He won his Super Bowl last year. He's got the world by his balls. You know, good for Andy. Go ahead. You protect yourself, Andy. You'll be the only one. You'll be the last one standing. Way to go, brother. You know what? Let everyone else laugh at you. No problem. You know what? You'll be the last. Yeah, as the saying goes, you'll get the last laugh. So uh kudos to, to Andy Reid last night. Uh Lakers beat the Houston Rockets 110-100. You know, the Rockets are done. Put a fork in them. Down three games to one. Mike D'Antoni uses his only challenge in the first quarter. We talked about that in the first half. LeBron goes 16 points, 15 assists, excuse me, 15 rebounds, 9 assists, so not quite the triple-double. Just, you know, the 10-point differential did not really give you the true indication of how the Lakers dominated this game. Lakers outscored Houston 19-2 on fast break points. And while I don't put a lot of credence into that in a lot of games, this one I do because Houston wants to run up and down the court, and yet they only scored two fast-break points, and that came in the final minutes of the game. Uh, 17-3 second-chance points by the Lakers, uh, and and maybe even a bigger thing, 52-26, double rebounding edge for the L.A. Lakers. Uh, They led this one from start to finish, uh, and only just took their foot off the pedal late in the game, allowed Houston. They did cut it to five, I, I will tell you that, and the biggest bucket of the game, Alex Caruso, you know, LeBron James trying to go one-on-one, you know, typical LeBron Lakers are up 105, 100 with 30 plus seconds left. He tries to go one-on-one. He was stopped by a guy, by a guy who's, you know, six inches smaller than him. He kicks it out to Caruso who's standing in the right corner and he buries the three as the shot clock goes off with 35 seconds left, push the Laker lead back to eight. And that was it. So that was your big Alex stinking Caruso. Not LeBron, not Anthony Davis, not Kyle Kuzma, not Rondo. Alex Caruso, goofy-looking white guy, hit the biggest three. That was the dagger, and the Lakers go on to win it by 10, 110-100. Dallas beat Vegas last night 3-2 in overtime. They get the game-winning goal by uh, a, a game-winning goal with 31 seconds into the OT. So the Stars with a 2-1 series lead over the Vegas Golden Knights. Good job by them. And Serena lost yesterday. Wow. How about that? She won the first set. She dropped the next two. Serena is out. Djokovic is out. How about that, U.S. Open fans? What can one of them think of that being.
0: back the other way, and now Ben quickly up the left wing, has across for Radulov, to the right circle, moves it and shoots, he scores! 31 seconds into overtime, Alexander Radulov wins game three for the
1: Dallas Stars with his second overtime goal during the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs in Edmonton. Kenny Albert, NBC Sports with the call there as Dallas does beat the Vegas 3 2 after blowing a late 2 1 lead. And they win in overtime just 31 seconds in with Rajilov getting the game winner and a little wrist shot as he was breaking in one on none uh, down the right side of the ice. Vegas and bad beats on a uh, uh, Friday morning. It was going to say Thursday there. 844 843 6879. Again, 844 843 6879. Send a tweet at opposite picks. That's O P P O S I T E Picks, P I C K S. As a number of guys have done, our poll question is out. You know, Kansas City, the Chefs winning last night. How many regular season games will KC win this season? So far, 11 to 13 games are leading the way by a pretty good margin. 67%, 67.7 to be exact. So 68% say um, they'll win between 11 and 13. Uh, 24% between uh, 14 and 15. Only 6% think that Chefs are going to go undefeated, which is interesting. And then uh, less than 2% say 10 games or less. Yeah, I'd be hard-pressed to see this team lose six times. You know, barring injury, which is always thrown in there. But uh, if if everyone stays healthy, i.e. Pat Mahomes, uh, to think this team is going to lose six. I don't know who actually voted for that, but uh, people did. A couple of interviews. Anyway, so I'm guessing slash hoping that it's, you know, 14-15. I I don't even know. You know, are they going to lose three times? I I told you I ran down that schedule. Maybe. You know, you never know. You know they, they might take the foot off the pedal. You know, um, the division is not, e- uh, not difficult. You know, I mean, who are they going to get challenged by? Uh, Tyrod Taylor and the Chargers, you know, Goofy John Gruden and the Raiders. Uh, the Denver Broncos with basically a rookie quarterback. I mean, so maybe Kansas City will have a two, three, four game lead and they'll kind of take their foot off the pedal. Maybe they're just going to get distracted somewhere aligned with being Super Bowl champs. I can understand them coming out playing like they did last night because you're all pumped up. It's the beginning of the year. So, you know, I, I still have hope that they lose, you know, three, four or five times. So but, you know, my biggest fear is them going undefeated as a Dolphin fan. Uh, CJ tweets it as a New Englander. I'm pulling for Andy Reid to beat Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. I'll even buy a Kansas City shirt if that happens in the Super Bowl. Uh, Paul tweets in, uh, Buffalo Bills Mafia will be tougher than you think, Scotty. I hope so, Paul, as I tweet it back to him. You know what? I I hope so. Uh, Like I said, I wish that game was in December in Buffalo versus October. But you know what? Across your fingers. John tweets in, I honestly don't ever recall J.J. Watt making a difference in a game. He seems to disappear into the abyss when a big defensive play is needed. You're right about that, John. And uh, Steve tweets in, right, considering they lost a total of two division games during the last four seasons, Kansas City is uh, clearly the team to beat, is what he is saying there. So, all right, uh, 516-234-4728. Uh, this is Friday the 11th, uh, 9-11. And, uh, you know, you can't help but think back uh, to where you were nearly 20 years ago. Boy, it's amazing. It's been almost 20 years uh, with 9-11. And I, I remember it, you know, not necessarily like it was yesterday, but uh, we should all take a moment today, you know, get on our knees and pray for those and, and uh, for those who have fallen. And it's amazing. You know, I, I was living in Chicago at the time. I was actually working on the air. I, I was hosting a morning show, me and Jim Memblo over at uh, an old network. Um, and we were doing the morning show and we had a bunch of screens up and I guess they broke in on one of the sports channels that we may have had it on, whether it was Fox or the four-letter network or whatever the case may be, and we see it in the corner of our eye, and, you know, we're both stunned. I remember we were both stunned, and we originally thought, you know what, it was an accident. And that's one of those things as a New Yorker, you always kind of fear, you know, with these buildings being so tall, and there's so many airports that are within literally, you know, 5, 10, 15 miles, whether it's LaGuardia, whether it's JFK, whether it's Newark. I mean, they are all within 15, 20 miles of New York City. And you always kind of like wonder, boy, you know what? Maybe some guy gets distracted or something, and God forbid something crazy should happen. So when you saw the first plane hit, that was our initial reaction, or at least it was mine. I won't speak for Jim. Um, But it was just like, wow, you know what? And I remember him actually saying, you know, he thought it was. And, you know, then when we saw the second one, it was like, uh, this is no accident, Jim. This is no, well, you know, obviously we're under attack here in the building. Then the, build, the first building collapsed, and then the second one did. And, 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 you know, we all, you know, know what happened. And it's just, wow, just mass chaos, just absolute mass chaos. And uh, just, it's just a horrific day uh, talking about that and seeing that happen. And it's amazing. Uh, what about 2,200 people died? And we live in an area, New York City, Long Island, New Jersey, where there are literally four or five million people, you know, depending on how far you go. And out of, you know, 2,200 or people or so that died, it is tough to run into someone that didn't know someone who died in one of the two buildings. You know, when it's, you know, when the, I won't even say only, but when you use the percentages of how many people died, versus how many people lived in here, you would think, nah, you're going to, you know, that that's tough to find someone that they don't, you know, 2,200 people out of, you know, literally four or 5 million. And I'm telling you, everybody, everybody, I knew I, I there was a high school guy that uh, I grew up with that, that passed away in one of the buildings. I mean, it's just amazing how there were so many people because it was in the New York city. So you got Long Islanders that worked in the city. You got New York city guys that worked there. You got Jersey people that worked in the city. I mean, the you know, the, the trade centers encompass so many people in this surrounding area. It's just, it was, it's difficult. It really is to, to find someone that didn't know someone wasn't related to someone, didn't grow up with someone, you know, maybe it's not friends like in my case now, but, but, but grew up in high school, you know, 30 years ago. So um, yeah, yeah, we should all take a moment today and just kind of pause and just uh, say our prayers uh, because that was, like I said, that was a horrific day being on the air. That was, you talk, that was by far not even close. Uh, my most difficult day being a broadcaster you know try and that came I want to say that was like the first we hosted the, the morning show between six and ten um and it was probably actually five to, to nine our time so that one probably came in our second hour so we had a good couple of hours it's just like what do you say I mean it's just like holy fudge what what you know uh not knowing what was going on and anything. So, yeah, that that's, uh, again, we should all get on our knees and pray for that one. You know, you're not going to get on your knees for the National Anthem? Well, you should get on your knees for this beginning of anniversary of 9-11. Uh, that is uh, for sure. All right, I did mention before the break, you know, a couple of things, including Serena Williams losing last night. As someone that generally roots for her, it's disappointing. And it's getting more and more like, you know what, she's not going to get those 24 wins. Um, You know. She's uh, gone now. Nine majors, not eight four four eight four three six eight seven nine. Yeah, what did I say? Uh, Chris is saying the wrong phone number. Um, maybe I, I screwed up there, but eight four four eight four three six eight seven nine. My producer. But uh, she's now got nine straight majors without a win. Nine. She was up one set last night to, to Victoria Azarenka. A girl, she just, uh, or a woman, she just dominated. Just as absolutely dominated. 10-0 in majors, 18-4 career-wise over Victoria. She's up 6-1, taking the first set. And she drops the second set, 3-6. And she lost the third set, 3-6 as well. That was it. She was done and out. And now it's nine straight majors without a win. Her last major came in 2017 at the Australian Open. I didn't think it was that many. You know, I knew it had been a little while but not two plus years. So she's trying to get at least one more to tie Margaret court with 24 career grand slams. She has 23 obviously, and she hasn't won since the 2017 Australian open. And unlike with the men, the women draw, there are a lot of young women players that are capable. good luck. You know, I I'll bet men tennis. I won't bet women. I mean, there's just too many good ones and, and they're so inconsistent. And, and you know, the days of Serena, dominating because she could just hit the ball harder than anyone else, which is, you know, generally on the women's side, that's what separates the good players from the great players and the good players from the mediocre players. It's whoever hits the ball the hardest. If you hit the ball hard, I don't care how good you are on the other side of the court, you can't react fast enough. You can't get to the ball. It's just going too fast. So it's not that the tennis player is really better than you, but when you can return to serve or return a volley or, you know, just be able to slam winners, it's not because you're out of position. It's just because that woman is so much stronger than you that you don't have enough time to react to get to the ball. So that's how Serena, in in part, uh, Venus and Serena both dominated early on because they were so much stronger than everyone else, and that's just not the case anymore for Serena. I mean, listen, she's 38 years old. God bless her. She's still out there playing. I mean, she's married now. She has a kid. Uh, She has all these other distractions, and I don't doubt for a second that Well, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, you know, I don't know if she actually did uh, break the record. Would she retire then? I don't know. But, you know, she is clearly still the face of women's tennis. Now, you can have all the Victoria Azarenka's in the world and uh, Naomi Osaka's, and she's going to take on Jennifer or she beat uh, Jennifer Brady. So she's going to take on Azarenka in the finals. And they're trying to elevate Osaka into the next Serena, but it's still Serena or bust. It, It just is. And I just don't know if if it's going to happen, which is a shame because she has just dominated women's tennis for the longest time, her and her sister, uh, but more so her obviously. And uh, nine straight tournaments. You just wonder uh, if if it's going to happen, you know, although we said the same thing kind of about Tiger Woods, right? And and Tiger Woods was able to win the masters last year. So maybe there's just one more, but is there two more in the bag for, for Serena? Probably not. Uh, Probably not. But, and it's too bad. Like I said, I, uh, for someone to roots for her, it would be nice because she's meant so much to women's tennis and carried the torch for so long, and again, still is her quest. You know, she's a little edgy, she's a little, you know, rough around the, the collar. No, no two ways about that. But that's okay. You know, we, we all kind of are. I think it's all in the, in, in the competitive spirit of things. There are things you could pinpoint that that would, you know, make you you know be a little upset. But you know, I, I think for the most part, she's uh, been a good ambassador to women's tennis. So, but she loses last night after dropping the first set. All right, bagels and Bad Beats on a uh, Friday morning. We've got a football talk we'll coming up. College football coming back.
0: doing (laughs) push-ups this is driven to deep left field Jorge
1: Onya's first hit in the big leagues is a home run Jorge Onya welcome to the major leagues my friend Padres Radio Network with the call. Bagels and Bad Beats on this Friday morning. Good day for Major League Baseball, one of the gazillion sports that were in action last night at San Diego. The Fathers pick up a game on the Dodgers, who lose to Arizona. SD beating San Fran 6-1, to although, uh, you know, maybe they win the battle, lose the war type of thing. They lost pitcher Chris Paddock to an ankle injury, although the MRI uh, was negative as far as any serious injuries are concerned. He's listed as day-to-day. <coughs> So Padres win it, uh, and Onya there getting a, a home run for his ba- uh, first uh, hit, uh, 6-1. San Diego wins now three-and-a-half back with the Dodgers, who lost to Arizona 5-2. And uh, unlike uh, San Diego, the Dodgers may have lost the battle and the war because uh, they lose Dustin May. He left the game in the first inning, really the second inning, but he got hit in the first inning, on a ground ball-slash-line drive off his foot. So I uh, don't know the results of any MRI or x-rays, which I'm sure they're going to have, if not, if they're already. So Arizona wins for only the third time in 21 games. Boy, the Diamondbacks have just dropped off the map. Uh, but they do beat the Dodgers last night 5 to 2. Madison Bumgarner gets his first win in uh 7 tries or 8 tries. Really he had lost uh, 7 straight to, to LA as Arizona uh, prevails. Uh Kansas City, how about the Royals? You know, if, if Cleveland doesn't, you know, get the position they want in the playoffs cuz they will make the playoffs, they can look to their season series against the uh, pathetic Royals. They lost again last night 11 to 1 to Kansas City. Brady Singer Losing a no-hitter in the uh, eighth inning with Austin Hedges. Who is that? Uh, singling in a shifted infield, no less. Should have been just an easy grounder to the second baseman. Because of the dopey shift, he's a right-handed batter. The second baseman was way behind, uh, closer to the second base. And just an easy ground ball. Again, should have been right to the second baseman if he was playing a normal position. And instead, I mean, the guy's hitting a buck 48. Who's ever heard of Austin Hedges? You know, the people at MLB Network don't even know who this guy is. And you're putting a shift on a guy who's hitting a buck 48. And you blow the poor guy's no-hitter in the eighth inning. Boy, that stinks. And now Kansas City won three out of the four against Cleveland this series. In Cleveland, nonetheless. They're five and five against the Tribe this year. Again, you know, if Cleveland doesn't win that division, and they have a little bit tougher matchup in the first round than what they would have had had they'd won the division. You know, you, you can't go 5-5 five and five against the Royals if you expect to be a big-time player. You just can't. You have, to, you have to, have to, have to go at least 6-4 and four, and really 7-3. and three. Uh, Boston beat Tampa Bay 4-3 last night. Bobby Dalbeck with his fifth straight game with a home run for the Bo Sox. How about that? As a rookie they brought up a couple of weeks ago and has been on just absolute fire. Uh, Cubs rocked the Reds and Sonny Gray 8-5. to five. Uh, Miami beat Philadelphia. That Phillies bullpen is just atrocious. They blew another game last night. They had a 6-3 lead in the eighth inning. And uh, they lose it seven to six walk off RBI single in the bottom of the ninth. Boy, that that, the Brandon Workman gave up the game winning RBI single. I, I, you know, listen. I know they made a couple of trades, but you know, anytime you trade for the Red Sox relievers, you know that's not exactly helping your cause, and that's what the Phillies did. I don't know who could have been out there, but this Philly team is not a bad team. Decent little pitching. But they're not going anywhere with that bullpen. I mean, six to three, eighth. I don't know how many blown saves the Phillies bullpen has, but I—it's they have to lead the majors. They just have to. Oakland three-one over Houston last night. Uh, Detroit and St. Louis split a doubleheader. Cardinals won the first game twelve to two. Tigers the nightcap six to three, and uh, Atlanta beat uh, Washington seven to six. So those are the uh, baseball highlights uh, from uh, last night. College football. I give them credit. You know, listen, perseverance, uh, I don't know, they're a little stubborn, but, you know, Ohio State's not giving up the fight. Big Ten has yet to officially announce that they're going to change its mind on postponing the season, the college football season, fall sports in general, but, you know, college football is what we care about. But there is still hope out there. And Ohio State head football coach Ryan Day is trying to get the conference to change its mind. Now he's asking for the Big Ten Medical Subcommittee, how goofy is that, to maybe give them permission to start playing football in October. It's going to be tough on two fronts. One, it's going to be tough to get them to change their mind. But two, it's going to – listen, if you can't deal with not playing football in July, I get it. August, I get it. But once other conferences are playing and once other schools are playing and you see all the fun that they're having and all the people talking about college football and all these numbers that are being told about how the coronavirus is, dare I say it, fading away, it's difficult not to make the case that they should be playing football. I mean, we talked about the numbers the other day about the NFL. They had 8,300 tests. Think about that for a second now. This is not the NBA and the NHL living in a quarantine bubble. They tested 8,300-plus football players and team officials, personnel members, and they had eight people, eight test positive. Now, these are people that are going home. They're driving around. They're going to their local supermarkets. They're going to their local banks. They're going to their local post offices. They're doing all the things that a normal person does. Again, it's not a bubble person. They're living their normal lives. And we're talking about not just one or two states. We're talking about 32 teams. So figure out how many states there are. What, 20, 25 states? It's all around the country. All people all living their lives after they leave work. And yet they only had eight people out of 8,300 test positive for the virus. I don't know how that's possible. I, I really don't. I mean, the, the numbers are so conflicting. You know, you have some people tell us that it has not gone away, and we're worried for, worried about the second wave, and then yet the NFL says, listen, we've tested 8,000 people from all over the country living their lives normally, and, and we've had less than one one point zero 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 percent of whatever the fudge it is. I, I mean, so now you're the Big Ten, and you're saying, well, wait a minute now. You know, the NFL is being able to do this. Cincinnati down the street is is able to do this. I got high school football teams in Ohio that are playing football down the street. And yet we as Ohio State, the number one football team in this state, yet we can't. Cincinnati can. Uh, you know, Columbus High can. But Ohio State can't. When you look at it from that standpoint, I understand what Ryan Day is saying. You know, why us? Why us, Big Ten? You know, the Big Ten has never really kind of revealed how the scenario, the vote went down. You know, there is seemingly a consensus that they decided not to play. Who knows if there really was actually a vote-vote versus just a consensus of all the chancellors and presidents getting together and saying, we can't play football. And that's, that does appear to be the case. So I don't know if this is going to help any. I, I really don't. I think October is probably the drop-dead date, and, and Ryan Day of Ohio State realizes that in that you know, if they get underway by October sometime, they can kind of catch up to the Big 12 and the ACC and the SEC and still be part of this national championship picture. If they start in November, we'll say, might be too late. Now, now you're two months behind the eight ball. I don't know how many games the SEC and the other conferences would say, okay, you're going to be part of this championship. If you can get five in, you know, if Ohio State could go 6-0, and you know, play throughout the you know bowl season, if you will, in December. You know, maybe maybe even start in November and play six straight weeks. Would a six-game schedule be enough to satisfy the other conferences for allowing the Ohio States and the Penn States of the world into their, you know, college football championship picture? I, I would think seven or eight. I don't know if six would do it, even with Ohio State, when you know they're going to be good. But Day's not giving his thing up without a fight. And to his credit, I don't know if it's going to help or not, but he had an open letter yesterday, you know, writing the Big Ten, uh, again, medical subcommittee, uh, saying it's done an excellent job of creating a safe pathway towards returning to play in mid October. Cincinnati's playing again. High schools are playing, you know, you got small teams that are playing all over the place. Uh, you know, why, why not th- them? And, and you know it's fine. I didn't realize this. I was doing my research there for In Game Live, but Austin P uh, is playing three games. Its conference said we're, we're not playing any football, so Austin P, the governor said, "Well, uh, the conference might not, but we are." So they actually have three games on their schedule. They've already played one. They got one this week, and they got one more next week. I, you know why they're able to do that and not Ohio State? I mean, I would think the Big Ten would have said to their guys, "Listen." We can't play as a whole. We just can't. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, we got too many chancellors, too many presidents saying we, we, we can't play. So if we can't get, you know, uh, you know, three quarters of our team on board, then how are we going to have a, a conference? But you know what, Ohio State? You know what, Penn State? You know what, Nebraska? You know what, Michigan? You guys want to play? You want to have a season? Knock yourself out. Go ahead. I'm sure if you called up the ACC and SEC and Big 12, And said, listen, let us in or give us some games. Or there's a number of other conferences that are playing their games. I'm sure you could put together a schedule. Go ahead. For one year, we'll we'll give you the the permission, if you will, to go do that. I don't know why the Big Ten didn't do that. I don't know why the Big Ten was so hell-bent on saying, no, we're not playing. And even telling Nebraska, if uh, you're part of the Big Ten, you're not playing either. Why is... The conference leaders so concerned they're going to get sued if someone should come down with the virus. If, if you're Nebraska or if you're Ohio State, well, why not, you know, when when you're Ohio State and you have realistic hopes of winning the national championship and you're the Big Ten, why would you do everything in your power to prevent that from happening? You know, as long as Ohio State's willing to sign off on this, then why wouldn't they just say, all right, go ahead and play then? You know what? If you could create a schedule, if you can create an eight, nine game schedule by calling up some of these teams, what is the harm in that? I, I, I don't understand that either. I, I, you know, and that would be the next question. Why is it got to be all or nothing? You know, you know, Ohio State wants to play. You know, Michigan has said they wanted to play. You know, Nebraska wants to play. Uh, Penn State has come out. James Franklin, anyway, has said that, you know, he wants to play. So there's four teams right there. I'm sure you can get a couple of more. You know, unless it's the head coaches that are saying, yes, 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 yes and yet it's the presidents and chancellors behind the scenes that are saying no 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 you know but if that was the case you'd think somewhere along the line the chancellors and presidents of these schools would go to these head coaches and just say hey guys just you know shut up all right we're not playing uh don't blame the big 10 commissioner it's me i i'm part of the no you know so you can yell and scream all you want but you don't need to yell and scream at the big 10 yell and scream to me because i'm telling you we're not playing i'm the one that's voting no on this thing a little bit more transparency with the big 10 is needed. We know the coaches want to play. We get that. They want to justify their salary. They have all these kids. Let me hear from, and I rare that we say this, but let me hear from the presidents and the chancellors. Let these guys say, listen, Ryan day, shut up. We're not playing. I'm the Ohio state boss. Sorry. You know, James Franklin, Penn state, be quiet. I'm the boss of Penn state. We're not playing. Nebraska, same thing, you know, Scott Frost, be quiet. We're not playing. I'm the boss. You know, that's what I want to hear versus, you know, all the head coaches saying, let's play, let's play. So, but I credit Ryan Day for not giving up the fight. Like I said, the drop dead date is probably late October. I I would think you would need at least seven games, maybe eight, you know, and if that's the case, then you got to start playing, you know, by November 1st and and, then late October, that'll give you an eight game, eight week window. And you can try to be part of the national championship picture. But it does not appear it's going to happen. But they will keep on fighting. So let let the fight continue in the Big Ten. But, again, I, ultimately, I just don't understand why the Big Ten doesn't say, if you want to play, go ahead and play. We don't have a conference schedule, so knock yourself down. What's the harm with that? Don't know. All right, Bagels and Bad Beats on a Friday morning. We'll close up the shop with a couple of stories we didn't have time to get to. Gave out a winner last night. We'll do it again today and we'll update our poll as well on the whole coming up big with a we'll
0: sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering, real-time odds predictive betting models, expert picks and more want the edge? Then get on the grid sportsgrid.com
1: to Bagels and Bad Beats with Scott Wetzel. To that, support. No way. Big was a bad beat on a Friday strong. morning. A couple of stories here to close out the week. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald says that uh, if, in fact, the Arizona Cardinals won the Super Bowl, he probably would retire, which means uh, Larry Fitzgerald will be playing next year. Uh, NBA says that they're going to push off the start of the, ninth, uh, the, the 2021-22 season. Or actually, no, the 2020-21 season next year. Uh, until Christmas Day. You know, they were going to do it December 1st, but they said it's just not enough time. So now you're looking at Christmas Day, the earliest to start next season. Uh, Athletic reports that Bucks head coach Mike Budenholzer's job is safe. Second-year man after having back-to-back bad postseason outings for Milwaukee, including getting bounced by the Heat in five games uh, this season. Tom Brady's streak of 74 straight games as a favorite coming to an end this weekend. Three-and-a-half-point dogs at Tampa Bay. I do like the Bucks in that one. And uh, it's some sad news here. As uh, golfer John Daly revealed yesterday, he's got bladder cancer has already had one operation uh, for the cancer and uh, looks like he's going to have to unfortunately have more. So he he was a true character of the game. You know, when they have specials on who were characters of sports, not not even just golf, but just sports, it was John Daly. There was a point in time where where he was the man. People just loved him. And I think still do because he was just like the common man, <laughs> drinking beer and smoking cigars on the golf course, a regular weekend hacker and he actually has two majors to his credit, which is a lot more than a lot of other so-called prominent golfers. So uh, we wish John Daly well. Our uh, winner for the evening, we gave you the Lakers last night, which we absolutely loved. And we're going to go right back to the NBA. Call me a glutton for punishment. But you know what? I'm going to take the Celtics late two and a half against Toronto. They've been the better team. The series should be over, and I'm going to go right back to Boston laying two and a half. Hey, great job all weekend long by the phone callers, emailers, and tweeters. We'll do it again on Monday. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. Make us a bad beat.